Welcome to the New Beginnings Community Church Podcast. Here at NBCC, we welcome the imperfect, flawed, and broken, as much as the healing and thriving, because we are all God's children. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. Well, good morning, everybody. Oh, man. Good morning, Second Service. I hope you guys are having a good day so far. Um, I am not Pastor Jim. So if you're new here, our lead pastor, Pastor Jim, is actually on vacation, a well-deserved vacation in Lake Tahoe, suffering for the Lord up there. And so um, and so, I, we are going to be closing out our Love Is series. But you haven't been here the last couple of weeks. This Love Is series has been amazing. Pastor Jim has talked about how love is forgiving, how love is not self-centered, all those things. So go ahead and check those out on the YouTube. But today we're going to be ending with love is enduring and so we've been going through first corinthians 13 and today we're going to be at verse 7 so go ahead if you want really quick you can just look up on the screen or if you want to turn your bibles first corinthians 13 7 it says this that love bears all things believes all things hopes all things and endures all things can you pray with me really quick as we get ready for the service father god i pray that today god again not my words will be said but god that your holy spirit would speak through me God, through the words and the, and, the, and the message you gave to my heart, that, Father, whatever it is that you have to say to us today, God, let us receive it. God, let us, let us use it. God, let us change us, God, because your word is so powerful in that. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, today is actually a really cool day for me to be talking about this, because today, 12 years ago today, May 22nd, probably around this time, my wife and I got married. All right? So today is my wedding anniversary. 12 years. 12 years to some of you is like, man, that's double digits. That's a long way off for you. You're still in that early, like two to three years stage. And for some of you, 12 years is so far back in the rear view mirror, man, you don't even remember your 12. Okay, I get it. So I'm right in the middle. Okay, right there. But 12 years ago, and, and this is perfect to talk about love is enduring because my poor wife, my poor wife has had to endure a lot being married to me. And I know that you're thinking, how could that be so just... He's so nice. He's so, you know, he's so funny. Like, look at him. He would be, no, like, let me tell you. I, my wife grew up with, like, just her and her sister and then their mom. And, and my father-in-law is a preacher, and he goes all around the world all the time. So a lot of times it's just my mother-in-law, my wife, and her sister, right? That's the only people that were really in the house a lot. And, and they were very clean, three people. Like, my mother-in-law is one of the cleanest people you will ever meet in your life. And, uh, and my family is slightly different. Uh, I have three little brothers and sisters, so there's four of us. Uh, we were crazy. There was always stuff laying around the house. We're all a year apart. So imagine my mom. She's like 24, and she has a five-year-old, a four-year-old, a three-year-old, and a two-year-old. All right, because we're all a year apart. That's my mama, all right? And she and we had other kids, because after four, I mean, it's just a bus anyway. So you just, people around all over the place. So I had my stuff. I don't remember like a time where I was like picking up. Like there was no need to pick up because I just meshed in with everybody else's stuff. It was all good. And there was always people at my house. And I was a boy. I promise you this. And this is, I'm ashamed to say this, but I don't think I washed my bed sheets for like years. Like, I didn't even know that was a thing. Like, I'm not going to lie to you. <laughs> I'm just saying, okay? I'm being real. I'm being honest with you, okay? And this is what my wife married, all right? And so, so my wife has had to endure a lot, okay? She has. She's had to endure. We had to learn each other's quirks, that whole thing, and she loved me through. And I know my wife has been through the struggle because my, my little daughter, she's seven years old, and at seven, they start to ask, like, kind of, like, it's not like 
they, they use like full sentences. They ask a little bit deeper questions, all that kind of stuff. And, and she really wanted to know about me and my wife and, and how long have we been together. And so I was like, well, well, you know, Sarai, yeah, mommy and daddy's anniversary is coming up. And she's like, oh, what does that mean? It's like, well, that's when we got married. How long have you guys been, been, uh, how long have you guys been together? I said, we've been, we've been together for 16 years and, and you guys have been married for how long? We've been married for 12 years. And then she looked and she said, and you guys have been together every day? Now for me, that's a question. So for me, this is a very easy answer. I was like every day, cause my wife's prettier than me. She does more than me. She cleans more than me. She smells better than me. Like everything about my wife is way better. So when my daughter says every day, I was like, baby, every day. But my wife, because she's had to endure a lot, had a slightly different response. And when I'm exclaiming every day, my wife, in a, in, at the same time, I'm like, every day, my wife, in a very heavy tone, said, every day. And it was like, <laughs> that's enduring love right there, guys. Every day, okay? And she knows it, <laughs> poor wife. Uh, and so that's, that's just one of those things that, that, that it just happens in a marriage, right? Like you endure through things. You endure through all kinds of different things that, that you learn about each other as you guys get married, as you guys are together. And today what we wanna do is we wanna look at a case study, a case study in scripture of the truest form of enduring love. And it's gonna be the study of Christ's journey to the cross. So go ahead, turn to Mark chapter 14 really quick. That's where we're going to be today, Mark chapter 14. And I'm going to set this up. And if you are new to church or you don't know this story very well, um, this is going to be, we're going to start right after that last supper. So it's very close. Jesus knows it's very close to the time that he's going to suffer and die on the cross. He has, he, he just knows that time is coming. He's already had the last supper with the disciples. Now he has taken all the disciples to the garden of Gethsemane. He's pulled a couple aside to stay up and pray with them. And then he's gone off away from even them. And it says this, if you go to Mark chapter 14, if you go down to verse 35, he says, and he went a little beyond them and he fell to the ground and began to pray that if it were possible, this hour might pass him by. Now I want to set this up really quick. I need you to understand that in scripture it says that Christ is sweating drops of blood. Now this can happen physio phys physiologically. I'm gonna say that's a word today, okay? If it's not, whatever. But your body can actually produce sweats of blood when it stresses so much that your forehead, the blood capillaries in your forehead will pop and it will look like you are sweating blood. That is a possible thing that when you are so stressed out, so just so worried or whatever about something that's going on that you can sweat blood. And that is where Jesus is. Now I need you to pay attention to what happens when Jesus worries. Does he go and he tell all the disciples, oh, this is what's going on. Does he post it on Facebook? No. Do you know the first thing that Jesus does when he begins to worry? He goes to the Lord in prayer. Something some of us should do in here, amen? That the moment he's worried, he goes right to the Lord. And I want you to pay attention to what he prays. We already knows that he goes to pray so that the hour might pass him by. And then he was saying, verse 36, and he was saying, Abba, Dad, Father, all things are possible with you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. Do you understand Jesus' prayer right there. Do you know what he's doing as he's on the ground stressing? He's begging for his life. 
He's asking God, his dad, if there's any other way, God, you, everything is possible for you. If there's any other way for this hour to pass by, the hour that I know is coming, if there's any other way for it to just keep moving on, if there's any other way for the cup that you want to give me to get passed on, if there's any way to do it, Father, please let it happen. Yet not my will, but your will be done. Jesus in this moment is hoping, is praying that the Father would change his will from Jesus having to die on a cross to maybe the cup being passed from. And so he's asking the Father because Jesus is like, I am struggling with this situation that I'm in, Father, that you have called me to, and I'm hoping that it can be passed by, but not what I will, Father, but what you will. I would even go as far to say as this, is that there is a temptation that is happening within Jesus' flesh to step away from the situation that God has called him to. That he is like, if there's any way, God, let me step away. And don't forget who Jesus is. Jesus is the God-man. Jesus, at any point in his own power, can step away and say, I'm not doing this. I can go run and hide. I can go do whatever. But because Christ's love endures for the Father and for you, he endures that temptation and moves through it. By saying the words, yet not my will, but your will be done. Love endures temptation. It could be the love for your wife on why you choose, even though your flesh wants to, to not partake in pornography or lust. It could be the love for the father and why you don't uh, steal from your boss or, or, you, or any, anything where there's cheating or any kind of scandal involved. It could be the love of something that moves you through temptation because love has to be able to endure that temptation and especially love for God our Father. What does Jesus say in John chapter 14? He says, if you love me, obey my commands. And in this moment, Jesus is in a spot where he is like, God, I hope that you take this cup, but whatever it is that you will, Father, I will obey it. Whatever your will is, Father, that's what I'm gonna do. And that's tough sometimes for us. And, and just so that I, I say this, there is really great theology that we could talk about later about why God doesn't grant Jesus's prayer request. Why the answer to Jesus' prayer request is, no, I, 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 can't, I can't let the cup pass from you. I can't let this hour pass by. There's great theology on why Jesus, because of the old covenant, has to take on that curse for man because of God's enduring love for us. We can't get into all that right now, but just know that, that God is not up there being like, like a child abuser, making his child go through this through no reason. It is actually because of his love for us that he has to allow his son to take on this cross and to keep going. But just from the moment of Jesus, understand that Jesus gives up his comfort and moves through that temptation to walk away because of his love for God the Father. And when I say temptation, a lot of you think of the things that I previously just said. Pornography, lust, stealing. Like those are all very apparent sins. But can I, can I tell you the temptation that happens the most in the church, especially in the American church? The devil loves to use the temptation of comfort. He loves that temptation. And there's nothing wrong with comfort because I'm gonna tell you right now, some of you are just hoping that I'm going quick because you want to take your Sunday nap, right? Don't you love your Sunday nap? You got that place, right? You know that place. I don't know if, if ladies get to take Sunday naps. I'm always sleeping, so I have no idea what. But I know that Sunday naps are a thing, right? 
I don't think I've ever watched a full football game because at some point in third quarter, I'm out, right? And then I wake up and it's a good game and I'll stay up. But, but it's, it's one of those things, right? That's comfortable. We have our chair, that's comfortable. We like to kick off our feet, that's comfortable. I'm not saying that all comfort is, is a sin, but I am saying this, that when you choose comfort over the will of God, there's a problem there. Because is there anything wrong with Jesus asking the Lord for his life? No. Nothing wrong with Jesus wanting to save his life, but there's something wrong when he chooses to save it and it's outside of the Father's will. There is something wrong, no matter the price, that when you choose to say, God, actually, that's a little too uncomfortable for me, so I'm just gonna step this way and choose what's comfortable for me because what your will is for me is just not what I want. Let me tell you what your love does. Your love then doesn't endure. It stops when things get a little uncomfortable. Let me try to, to give you a couple of studies that I've seen in the world. We as Christians, because of, of Scripture, believe that life starts in the womb. We do. We believe that life starts in the womb, that babies begin their life in the womb. And as Christians, in our church history, at the very beginning of Christianity, Christians would go around the streets of Rome and they would pick up babies that were left on the side because the babies were disabled or because those, that set of parents didn't want that baby. Maybe it was, it was out of a scandal or whatever, but they would leave the babies on the side of the road to die. And Christians were known to go around the city and to pick up these children and to take them into their homes and raise them as their own. That's where the whole Christians loving, loving the little ones starts, right? It starts from the very beginning of our church history of believing that life started within the room, of believing that babies were, were so, so important. And we would say as Christians that in a circumstance, and I'm not gonna talk about extreme circumstances right now, but in a circumstance where, where someone gets pregnant and it just doesn't fit their timeline, it's not a comfortable stage for them to be pregnant. Maybe they're really young or maybe they just, they just didn't happen in the time that they wanted to. We would say that it's unjust to take that baby's life, right? Because we believe that to, to sacrifice that child due to your comfort would be wrong, right? We are saying that we're choosing us over them. Okay. Now, I might make a couple of you upset because some of you right now have on your Zillow app 14 homes saved in Texas because you really can't live in California anymore, right? And you look through those, those homes and they look so big and they're glorious and they're like $25,000, right? And you're just thinking, you're thinking... Man, if I move there, if I move there, I could live comfortably. The politics would be what I like. The, the, the housing situation would be like, God, if I move there, and then you even noble-mindedly start telling God how much better of a Christian you could be if you move there. God, I'd have more money to tithe. God, I'd have more of this. God, I'd have more of that. You start making up every excuse. Listen, you start coming up with all kinds of ways why it's okay for you to move out of California. Yet you have never asked the Father what his will is for you. You just haven't even taken the time. You haven't even ventured to ask God if it's okay for you to move. Now listen, if you are in a situation right now, I'm not trying to like have you cancel at home. I'm not trying to do that. If you're in a situation right now that God has ordained that, that God has ordained that move. He has opened doors. You have prayed about it. I'm gonna tell you, God bless you. Go find a church. God must have something for you. I'm so excited for you. But if you are in a moment that you have not asked the Father's will. You have not taken the time. In fact, you have come up with so many ideas of why this could be the Father's will, but yet have never asked him. I'm gonna tell you right now, that's not a good place to be. 
because you are going to fall into the temptation of comfort and not the Father's will. And it doesn't matter how big your house is or how much, uh, or how much uh, uh, money you got in your savings account or how much better your life's gonna be if you're, if you're far away from here, how much more comfortable you'll be with the politics. That stuff doesn't matter. If you're comfortable physically and your soul is uncomfortable, you'll never be comfortable. Because once you move outside of the Father's will and your soul starts to feel like, man, I shouldn't be here, doesn't matter how much money you have, doesn't matter how much square footage you have, you're never comfortable. So my challenge to you is this. What parts of your life have you fallen into the temptation of comfort and haven't asked the Father what his will is yet? Because too many times I see people running away from the thing that God has called them to do. He's like, dude, I've called you to do this. I've asked you to do this. And your love is gonna endure for me as long as the gas prices stay low? Like you're telling me, you're telling me, Christian, like God's sitting up there, you're telling me, Christian, that you'll love me and do my will as long as your house price is right? You can't suffer and downsize your home for me? Man, that's a, tough, that's, a tough, that's a tough thing to say. And yet, that's what a lot of us are saying. That our love can endure to a point, and I'm telling you that love enduring doesn't even have a point. That you could have no money in savings and live in a studio, and if your soul is within the will of the Father, that'll be the most comfortable place you've ever been. And so if you are battling with that idea of falling into temptation and comfort, I'm telling you, stop, stop. And if you're battling on knowing what the Father's will is, guess what, just ask him. Jesus asked him, but then you gotta be this, you gotta be okay with the answer. And at this point, God's answer to Christ is, I can't, no. And Jesus doesn't complain, Jesus doesn't whine, Jesus goes back to his friends and one of his best friends comes and betrays him with a kiss. And all those friends that were with Jesus after Jesus has been told no by the father, all those friends that were with Jesus that have been with them, that asked, some of them asked Jesus, they're like, hey, when you become king, can we be on your right hand and your left hand? Like they were asking Jesus this. They were like, hey, I wanna be around you, Jesus, all the time. Like we just wanna be, we wanna be your buddies. And the moment Jesus is arrested, they all scatter, gone. And his accusers kicking him and punching him and, and challenging him and insulting him and spitting on him. And in scripture, you only, see one, you only see one disciple even following from a distance, right? He's following, he's kind of seeing it. And then at first, and this disciple's name is Peter and Peter is, is kind of looking and he's kind of checking and, and then some people recognize Peter and like, hey, aren't you with that guy? And he's like, oh, no, 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 I'm not. And then someone says again, hey, aren't you with that guy? No, 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 that, that, that's not me. And then finally someone says, but your accent, your accent, you must be with him. And look what, what Peter says at the end of 71, uh, 14, verse 71. But he began to curse and swear I do not know this man you are talking about imagine Peter and he's cussing cursing making it so emphatic that he doesn't know Jesus and immediately a rooster crowed a second time and Peter remembered how Jesus had made the remark to him before a rooster crows twice you will deny me three times and he began to weep and so many times we look at the from the viewpoint of Peter, but I want you to see this at the viewpoint from Jesus. That Jesus taken, beaten, is thrown into this court of accusers and people are lying about him and no one's there to stand up for him. 
that he just prayed a prayer and the answer wasn't what he desired. Yet he kept moving. And now he's sitting in a court under false pretenses with people lying about him. And all those friends that were there for all those times for the last three years of his life, friends that he's sat with, taught, been with, seen miracles happen with, all this kind of stuff, all those people are gone. And all that surround him are accusers and liars. And yet, and this would be so difficult, right, for, for us to be in this position. Like, think about Jesus. Like, at any point, at any point, he is the God-man. He can literally just take this and he could, he could start speaking truth. He could call people liars. He could tell you about your mama. Like, he could do any of that, right? He could make sure you understood that everything that was being said about him was a lie and that he was truly the Savior of the world. Yet, he remained silent. Because his love can endure that valley. Do you remember the, the, the scripture that said at... Um, at funerals a lot from the psalms says even though i walk through the valley of the shadow of death i will fear no evil for you are with me your rod and your staff that comfort me jesus right now is in a valley and his love for us is enduring it he is going to endure the valley he is going to endure the time where he feels no one's around and god's not even close have you ever been there ever been in a place where people were accusing you of things, saying things about you, you were asking God for answers to prayer and you felt like he wasn't coming through. You ever been in that spot? And what do we usually do when we're in that spot? I start running. It's perfect. I start running. God's sitting there with me in the spot of the valley and, and he's like, hey, we're just gonna take a walk. We need to go through this valley. And instead of me looking at God and saying, all right, God, I love you so much. I'm gonna trust you through this valley. I look at God and say, dude, I ain't walking, I'm running. And all those people that say stuff about me and I'm supposed to be quiet, no way, I'm gonna fix this. And you know what that does when we start walking through a valley and instead of walking, we start running, we start running into a deeper valley because we're telling God, listen, God, I can love you. I'll love you to a point uh, on the hilltops I love you to the point of mountains I love you to the point where things are good but once we hit a valley God my love can't endure that is that really what you're going to tell the father are you going to tell the father that the moment things get rough you're gone you're going to fix it you can't trust them anymore the moment that things don't go exactly the way that you feel they should you're going to tell them no 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 I got this now you know, before I moved here, before I moved here, for about 18 months, and my wife can attest to this, for 18 months, me and Amy walked through a valley together. And I had to take, I, I had people accusing me of things. I had people texting me that said I wasn't a friend anymore. I was a traitor. I should do certain things. I should stand up for 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 certain people and not for others. Like people were telling me this. I had people that were saying like they couldn't trust me anymore. I had things promised to me and that were then taken away. I had people talking about me in certain ways. And this whole time, the only thing I wanted to do, the only thing I wanted to do was stand up for myself or to have someone else stand up for me. And I remember running. I had this elliptical that was in my living room. And I remember running on that elliptical for 18 months and just being like, God, where are you? Because I'm asking you to show me. I'm asking you to stand up for me. I'm asking you to, to prove that person wrong. And yet you're doing nothing. And I'm getting hurt. And all I wanted to do was say something, stand up. And I had 
dirt on people and all that kind of stuff. And, I, and it, was, it was like that thing where it's like, I could say something. And I remember God saying, no, just be quiet. Just be quiet. Just be quiet. Let me handle it. And I was getting frustrated because he wasn't handling it quick enough. But for whatever reason, I listened. My love endured for the Father so much that I was like, all right, God, if I would preach to love you through the valley, then I'm gonna do it. And I can say that today, that the, the, the gifts, the things that I learned through that time were immensely important. Number one, all those relationships were mended again. I never had any burnt bridges. All those people that said stuff about me, we're good. I can have conversations. I can talk with them. I still love them. And then I got this opportunity, like through that time, I learned so much that when, when a job opportunity in Norco, California came up and I felt like it was time, I went there and I loved it. And I'm telling you, like this is one of this right here, what I'm doing right now is one of the gifts because I decided to go through that valley. Because I chose to say, God, I'm gonna love you through this. Because I know you're walking with me, I'm gonna choose to walk with you. So for you in here today that is in the valley and all you wanna do, all you wanna do, all you wanna do is have your answers like answered quickly. You wanna stand up for yourself, but you know you're not supposed to. This is my call to you. Let your love endure for the Father through this valley. Do not give up yet because God has got something. And listen, God ain't the person that you're trying to text all the time and being like, hey, what are you doing? And then, and then all of a sudden it's like 15 minutes later and you're like, God doesn't care about me, right? Because you, you like expect that text all quick from so-and-so because you just know they're waiting for you to text them. Like God is not gonna text you back quick with the answer all the time. Sometimes he's gonna take a little bit of time. Sometimes he's like, well, you got a little work to do. Sometimes saying, hey, I got something for you, but it's gonna, you gotta walk through this valley with me. Can your love endure it? Love chooses to endure the valley. And just like Christ endures that time in the court when no one's around, he sometimes calls us to endure this valley so that we can walk with him. Jesus, after he's in the court, people are uh, spitting on him. They've, they've convicted him or they've kind of convicted him. And, and they, they're like, hey, we'll send him over here and over there. And and, and then they beat him and they whip him with a cat of nine tails. And he is so bloodied and he's so beaten that on the walk as he's carrying the cross, his body fails him. If you go to, to chapter 15, look at verse 21. It says, they pressed into service a passerby coming in from the country, Simon of Cyrene, the father of Alexander and Rufus to bear his cross. We know that at some point, Jesus's body is so beaten, is so bruised that his body fails he cannot walk anymore he cannot walk with that cross anymore that they have to come and get someone else a passerby and say hey you need to start carrying this cross and instead of Jesus just lying there saying I'm done I can't do it let me just heal myself let me just get out of the situation Jesus chooses to do none of that he chooses to keep walking because love endures failure and for the person in here today that you're walking into a Sunday morning and Saturday night, you failed. You failed in your relationship with God. You failed to, to run away from temptation. Can I tell you this, that God's love endures your failure. He has endured it. In fact, he endures your failure, not because of anything you've done, but because of this story. Because Christ endured 
the cross, even though he had done nothing wrong, that that cross represents your repentance. It represents your salvation so that you can then come into repentance and anything that you do, he can say you are forgiven. And so it does not matter how you fail. God's love can endure your failure. Now, not only do we get to receive that, Christian, which is, that's a nice thing to receive. You're like, you know what? I'm so glad that anything that I do, God is still going to love me. But can I tell you then what the call is? The call is not only that God will endure your failure, but then he calls you to begin to endure others' failures. Look at Luke chapter 6. Go ahead, turn with me. Luke chapter 6. Look at what Jesus says in the Beatitudes. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners in order to receive back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. Let me read that again. Expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. Do you understand the illogical love that God is calling you to? To endure someone's failure, to endure something from them and expect nothing in return, to lend them something and say, if they don't give it back to me, it's cool, it's good. To give your love to someone and say, you know what? I'm just giving you love. I don't even need to receive anything back. In preparation for the sermon, I read this book called Crazy Love. And in this book, Francis Chan quotes another book, um, Frederick Buchner. And he writes in his book, The Magnificent Defeat, the love for equals is a human thing, a friend for friend, brother for brother. It is to do what is loving and lovely. The world smiles. The love for the less fortunate is a beautiful thing. The love for those who suffer, for those who are poor, the sick, the failures, the unlovely, this is compassion and it touches the heart. The love for the more fortunate is a rare thing. To love those who succeed where we fail, to rejoice without envy with those who rejoice, the love of the poor for the rich, the world is always bewildered by its saints. And then there is this love for the enemy. Love for the one who does not love you, but mocks, threatens, and inflicts pain. The tortured's love for the torturer. This is God's love, and it conquers the world. The tortured's love for the torturer. And we see this in Jesus. At the very end, as they take, as they take Jesus, and, and, and he finally gets to the mountain, and they start piercing his hands, right? And they pierce, they take a, 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 a nail, a stake, and they drive it in between the two wrist bones, because it says that Jesus never broke a bone. So they, they drive it in between the two wrist bones right here, and then they drive it in between the, the, the foot, the feet, the feet bones right there, and they drive it in so that it's right in between all the bones, and Jesus is hanging there on the cross. And do you know what's happening as Jesus is hanging there, as he's endured the temptation to just leave, as he's endured the valley to just have everybody accuse him and have nobody defend him, as he's endured the cat of nine tails, and he's kept walking because of his love for us, 
and his love for the Father as he kept walking. And he, now he's sitting there on the cross. And do you know what the people are saying to him? This is Mark chapter 15, verse 29. And those passing by were hurling abuse at him and wagging their heads and saying, ha, who is going to, this is the one who is going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Save yourself and come down from that cross. In the same way, the chief priests also, along with the scribes, were mocking him among themselves and saying, he saved others, he can't even save himself. And he says, let this Christ, the King of Israel, now come down from the cross so we may see and believe. And those who were crucified with him were also insulting him. Can you imagine the insults that were being hurled at Jesus, not only from the people People, not only from the chief priests, but also from the people being crucified with him. Like everybody's hurling insults at him, saying, hey, if you could do it, just get down off that cross. And instead of Jesus using his power to get down off that cross, instead of Jesus saying, hey, I got this, instead of him showing immense power and saving himself, he chooses to endure. Because God's love can endure that. He can endure the failure of people. In fact, do you know what Jesus decides to do? As most people hanging on a cross suffocate because you hang here and your chest will, will cut off your windpipe and at some point the pain is too much that you cannot lift yourself up anymore and you just begin to die. And if you decide to survive the whole time, that's when they'll come and they'll break your legs and then you can't stand up anymore and you'll just suffocate to death. That is the way you die on the cross. So Jesus is there and he's struggling to breathe and he's lost a ton of blood and he's so thirsty and he's having people insult him, insult him, challenge him, tell him that he's not real. And he sits there and this is what he decides to do. He stands up on the nail that's in between his feet. He stands up and with some of his final sentences he'll ever say, he decides to say this to all those people who are insulting him, that in Luke's gospel, he says, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they do. Like as they're insulting him, his love endures the insults and pierces through and says, Father, forgive them. Jesus endured insults on the cross. You can't even endure an insult on Facebook. Amen. <laughs> and I'm talking to Christians right now. That's real. That our, our love that we've received is so enduring through our failures that he has now called us to say, you now need to endure the failures of others. That when they mock you and they insult, and they insult you and they say things about you and they come against you, that it is no longer your birthright to tell them how dumb they are. It is now your cross to bear and to say to them, Father, forgive them. Because they don't got what I got. Their eyes are blind to the eternity and the security that I have in heaven. And are we, church, gonna tell ourselves that our love can endure up to mocks and insults? God, I can love you and I can love others up until they insult me? Or am I gonna tell the Father, God, I will partake and just a, just a taste of the suffering for you? That God, if someone insults me, instead of coming back at them and being defensive, and now listen, there's nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong with defending your faith. I love the book Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. It's one of the greatest books. You should read it. Pastor Jim has some great teachings on why we believe what we believe. Like there is nothing wrong with telling people, hey, this is why I believe this. But there is something wrong when you cross the line and you stop saying, this is why I believe. And you start saying, this is why you're so dumb. There's a line that gets crossed there. I would tell you that line can get crossed even in your mind. 
Because some of you have things and have people that have failed you so much that instead of praying for their salvation, you're praying for their suffering. And I would tell you this, you need to start switching that. Then instead of looking at someone and saying, man, they have failed me so much. I can't wait until they mess up. I can't wait until they get what's coming to them. I can't wait till they get their judgment. You need to start switching your mindset. Instead of praying for their suffering, start praying for their salvation. And start saying, God, open their eyes. And if you need me to, use me. Use me. And if they mock me and insult me, God, help me have a love. Let me choose the love that can endure through that. And let me try and help them through my love to have their eyes open to the true Savior of the world. That he can love them unconditionally if only they repent. That should be our thought presses, Christians. To not pray for their suffering, but to pray for their salvation. So that's your challenge. As we talk about what love is enduring, to follow the way of Christ. To endure the temptation that tells you you want to be comfortable. To endure the valley where you just can't figure out what God wants you to do or why he's allowing this to happen. And to endure failures. Not only to endure your own failures and to keep walking with the Lord, but to endure the failures of others and to not allow it to stop your love. Let your love endure through that. Can you pray with me really quick? And as every head bowed and every eyes closed, I just want to give you an opportunity that maybe you're here, and I've talked to Christians a lot, but maybe you're here just checking out what Christianity is all about. Someone invited you. You saw, you saw a post and you decided to drop in. Maybe you're online right now and you're just clicking through links. But if all this love is stuff, this love, this enduring love, this love of Christ who would go to the cross because of his enduring love for the Father and his enduring love for you, if you want to say today that I want to receive that love, I want to submit my life to the will of the one who died for me and to allow him to be the Lord of my life, this is all I want you to do. Is as every head bowed and every eyes are closed, I just want you to look at me. Just open your eyes and look at me and do not close them until I see you. So I'm going to be looking around. So if you want to receive that today, just open your eyes and just look at me. I see you. I see you. I see you. I see you. close your eyes right now so so I'm so excited for you that open your eyes right now this church is excited for you in fact I'm going to tell the prayer partners already prayer partners start heading to that to that corner so that you you guys are ready to to speak to these individuals father we're so excited in fact church can you repeat after me we're going to pray the salvation prayer lord forgive me of my sins I submit my life to you I want to follow your ways. Holy Spirit, come into my life. 
Forgive me of my sins. Jesus, right now, I pray that Holy Spirit that lives so deeply within those in here who are saved, God, begins, God, to speak to the minds and the hearts of the individuals who, who looked up today. If you, if you are one of those people, I want you to start hearing the words of the Holy Spirit as he tells you how loved you are, how perfect that he is gonna make you, how, how, how it doesn't matter what you've done, that he has loved you unconditionally and he welcomes you into the family of God, that now you are a child of the living God, you are adopted into his family. And Holy Spirit, I pray you would begin to flood them, God, with peace and with hope that God, they could feel some of the fear that, God, they have about their life begin to drift away, that, God, they would begin to rest in you in a way they've never been able to rest in anything before. That, God, they would know that today they are forgiven of every sin they've ever committed and they are welcomed into heaven and their eternity is secured. Jesus, for, for those who are in here who are already saved, God, help us portray an enduring love that God, as we endure temptation and valleys and failures, God, let us move in a way and, and portray to people in a way that reflects Jesus Christ and his enduring love for us so that people can come to know him, so that people can know who their true Savior is. Father, let us be reflections of that as we move around this world, as we go into our cities, as we go into our workplaces. Let our love endure forever for you and for others. In your name we pray, amen. If you need prayer or dedicated your life to Christ, please reach out to us on our social media, on Facebook and Instagram at NBCCNorco, or email us at hello at NBCC.com. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to share and subscribe to this podcast.